Well, we've been in the series on Acts 2.42, um, and normally what I would do is continue on in this message on fellowship that we've been looking about at the last couple of weeks. But this week, very strongly, I've had something on my heart that I want to share with you, and I believe it's a word from the Lord for us at this time. I know there's a lot of people very concerned about the things that are happening in our world, the issues with Ukraine and Russia and what's going on there and prices going up here and there's all kinds of stuff. And I just believe that the Spirit of God is inviting us to stop and to hear a word from Him right now. And, and so He's giving me this word. It comes out of one verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. I'm going to read it to you. Will you stand as, as I read the scripture and as we open the word of God today? And we stand for the reading of Scripture just to remind us that we stand under the authority of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Father, I pray right now that you would take your word. You would, it's already anointed because it's your word. But Lord, would you, Spirit of God, would you drive it home into each heart, into each mind, in the way they need to hear this. May we have this understanding that you are our provider like never before. I pray this. Lord, I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now let's just look at this text and break it down. Uh, the text is there on the screen. Here's the first question. Who is our provider? God, it's really, yeah, if you think you know the answer, just shout it out. It's okay, Jameson. If you think you know, just shout it out. Yeah, okay. Um, um, who, what does he provide? Everything. Everything, which means in the Greek, did the work on this, it means Everything. He's our provider of everything that we need. So if you need food, if you need clothing, if you need shelter, he is the provider of those things, but not just those things. He's the one who gives hope. There's a lot of hopelessness in the world, and we need to be reminded that God is the provider of hope. He's the one who gives joy. He's the one who gives peace. Man, there's a lot of people who have no peace right now, who need peace. He is the prince of peace. He is the one who provides peace. He's the one who gives shalom, which, which means peace, but it means more than peace. It means wholeness, completeness. It means prosperity. It means to be whole and well. He's the one who gives meaning. He's the one who gives insight. He is the God who provides discernment, who provides companionship. He's the God who provides for those who are brokenhearted. And grieving. I know we have some people in our fellowship that are grieving the loss of loved ones right now. And he's the God who provides. So here's the big idea. Here's the big idea that comes out of this text. It's very simple, and it's this. God is my provider. This is the big idea. And so will you do, and I know this is irritating when pastors ask you to do this, but will you say this with me, okay? Because you need to hear your voice saying these words. Let's say it together. God is my provider. Let's try it again and do a little bit better. Ready? One, two, three. God is my provider. This is the ground of everything we're going to say in this message. Because the idea that God is your provider means your business isn't. If God is your provider, your job isn't. 
If God is your provider, your parents aren't, your church isn't, the government isn't, your family's not, either your hope is in God or it's in nothing. And to look anywhere other than God for provision is to set yourself up for disappointment or disillusionment or ultimately for heartbreak. So, so let's look at this big idea. I want to unpack the big idea with a few statements that come right out of Scripture that I think will help us, okay? So statement number one is this. God's provision proceeds from a father's heart. Let's start with that right there before we say anything else about God's provision. We got to say this. It comes from the father heart of God. This is where Jesus started. I mean, one of the reasons that you can trust God's provision is because he is our father. And one of the reasons people don't trust God's provision is either A, they don't know him as father, or B, they have a skewed vision of what a father is supposed to be. Here's how Jesus said it, Mark, excuse me, Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What's Jesus saying? He's like, you got a father, and he knows what you need. Don't act like you don't have a daddy. I mean, look, you know, Marlene and I, we're not perfect parents. We're pretty good parents. But we're not perfect parents, okay? But we got a pretty good track record on providing dinner for our kids. Right, it's been 20-something years, 25 years, we've been providing dinner for our kids, and so we got a track record. Can you imagine if the boys came over to our house and were like, I don't know what we're going to do. What's wrong? I don't know, I don't know if we're going to have dinner or not. I don't know where we're going to get dinner. How do you think we were? Boy, for 20-something years, you had dinner every single night. Why all of a sudden you worrying about where you're going to get dinner? Uh, that'd be a little bit offensive to me, wouldn't you say? Same thing with God. God's got a track record of providing us as his father. And when we start worrying about how am I going to eat, he's like, son, have I been feeding you all these years or not? We got a father. Basically, Jesus said, don't act like you don't have a daddy. He says it this way in Luke chapter 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? Or how about this, Luke chapter 12, verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, God will provide you food, clothing, the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God. Why? Because he's a father. He's your father. And as a father, look, I know there are some things that my kids have asked for over the years that weren't good for them. I have one son, not going to mention which one it is, who loves sugar. And when he was a kid, he loved sugar. And uh, a lot of sugar. In fact, Marlene and I were concerned he might be an elf. Uh, Just because, you know, the four food groups for him were candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. He wanted to have ice cream at every meal breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And here's the deal. You know, if if we as parents would have said, okay, you can eat ice cream at every meal, we would have been the best parents in America for about three days. And then he'd be in a sugar coma. Right? So here's my point. I, I know what's better for him than he knows at that time when he's a kid. 
had another son. Again, not going to tell you which one it was, but he wanted on his six-year uh, six birthday party, he wanted us to rent a 50 caliber Desert Eagle. And if, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's one of the most powerful handguns in the world. And, and basically, we said, no, no, you can't have a Desert Eagle on your six-year-old birthday party. So even though they wanted these things, I didn't give it to them because I'm their father and I can see more than they can see. And I can see what's best for them. I mean, as a 50-year-old, I can see more than a 6-year-old can see. But listen, the chasm between a 50-year-old and a 6-year-old is infinitely smaller than the distance between me and God. Right? God sees way more than I can see. God knows more than I could ever know. And God is a father, and he's a better father than I am. And some of you are thinking, so are you saying that God won't give you what you ask for sometimes? Yes, that's what I'm saying, because sometimes we ask for stuff that'd kill us. See, I mean, we don't know that at the moment when we're out, because we wouldn't be asking for it if we knew that. But we don't know it at the moment because, you know, a six-year-old thinks ice cream is the best thing for every single meal. A six-year-old thinks, well, of course it's a good idea to have the 50 caliber Desert Eagle at a birthday party. Why wouldn't you do that? Because they're six. Tim Keller has this sentence. I heard him say this in a, a message he gave many years ago that I heard, and I've kind of meditated on it for a while. And this is what he said. He said, I think God gives us what we would ask for if we knew everything he knows. Think about that. If you knew, how many, raise your hand if you think, if you knew everything God knows, you, it might affect your prayer life. Raise your hand if you think that's possible, that you knew everything, it might affect your prayer life. It might. So God provides for us by giving us himself because he, is, he has the heart of a father. Statement number two. God often provides in unusual ways. You see, we serve a God who, in many ways, is wildly unpredictable. It's like we serve a God who, who won't fit in the box. Every time you think you've got a mathematical formula to figure him out, he does something outside the paradigm. Which, of course, makes following him a real adventure. Because rarely does God provide you for you in the way you thought it was going to be. Often, it's not the people you would have ever expected. So, so let me give you some examples from Scripture how God provides in unusual ways. I'll give you three examples, and these, you can remember these because they all come from a chapter 17 in the Bible, okay? So let me give you the three. The first one is Moses in Exodus 17. Do you remember the story? Moses is, is leading the nation of Israel out of uh, Egypt, and they're in the desert at one point, and they need some, they're getting thirsty, and they get so mad at Moses, they're talking about stoning him. So Moses is like, what I do? God, I just let him out in the desert. And, and so you got to do something. And they're very upset. And then it says in verse 7 of Exodus 17, they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? You ever been there? Have you ever been in what seemed like a desert maybe for you? Maybe it wasn't a physical desert. Maybe it was an emotional desert or a relational or maybe a financial desert. And you began to wonder, is God with us or not? Just like they said, is the Lord among us or not? Well, God then, you know the story. God tells Moses, take his staff, strike the rock at Horeb, and water comes out of the rock. We serve a God who can bring water from a rock in the desert. Think about that. What in the world would we ever worry about? Now, look, it's very easy to judge them and say, what's wrong with you guys? I mean, I just made a list of the things they've already experienced. So that God delivered them from Egypt. He brought plagues on Egypt. They saw all this. 
He divided the Red Sea. Just think about what that was like for a second. There's a sea, and now it's split in half. He divided the Red Sea, okay? He destroyed Pharaoh's army in the same sea you just walked across. He daily provided manna. Literally, manna was coming from heaven. He already had turned bitter water sweet at Marah. So again and again, God is miraculously providing for them, and still they complained and doubted his presence, saying, is the Lord among us or not? I don't know. You don't know. You don't. What do you mean you don't know? How could you not know? Bread came down from heaven, and you don't know. A legitimate question would be, what do you need to see? To know that God is among you. I mean, what, like, what do you need? I mean, of all the people in history, how could you guys even ask this question? Is God with us? I don't know. But before we judge them too quickly for their lack of faith, let's be very careful because it is just as silly for us who live in this country and enjoy the freedoms and the comforts of this land when we doubt God as our provider. In many ways, we're a lot like the, in many ways, we are the Israelites. Because we've been blessed beyond measure, and yet sometimes we go, is God with us or not? I don't know. You don't know. You don't know? You know what I did this week? I got onto this website, and I would just challenge you guys to do this. Not now, but now I'm preaching. Like later. To go to this website, howrichamai.com givingwhatwecan.org, okay? And they have a calculator up there, and we're going to see this, and I, this is probably too small for you to read, so I'll just tell you what it is. So I'll put this in uh, for people who might be at our church, uh, and it, you, what you do is you put what country you're in, United States of America, then you put your post-tax income. So I just put $50,000 up there because I know not everybody in this room makes $50,000 a year as a family, but I also know a big chunk of us make more than that. Let's just tell the truth, okay? So for, uh, in the United States, if you make $50,000 a year and you have two adults and two children, that's what it does, then you click the calculator and then it says, if you have this household income, it tells you how rich you are. And so if you make 50 grand after taxes and you have two adults and two children in your home, you're in the top 10% of the richest people on the planet. Let that sink in for a second. And then on the website, if you scroll down, which will go to the next picture, it says if you were to give 10% of your income, here's how much you would have. And this says that if you make $50,000 a year, two adults, two kids, you're in the top 10%. But if you then give away 10% of that giving, you're still in the top 12.1% of the richest people on the planet. I want to let, let that set in for just let that sink in for a second. I did our income, and we're in the top 5%. I don't know if God's with us. I don't know if he's providing for us. Really? Hold up, hold up. You're in the top 10% of the richest people on the planet? And you're so ungrateful, you don't even know if God's with you? God help us, that's right. Listen, you may feel like you're in a desert right now, but do not fear. This is the God who brings manna in the desert. This is the God who can bring water from a rock in the desert. He can do the impossible. 
He already has. Just, just this week, just, I got to tell you this story, and I asked permission to tell this story. On Wednesday, um, I, it was one of those things where I was trying to go a different way for Sunday's message, and it was Wednesday, and it was like banging my head on the wall, you know? So I'm like, I'm going to go downstairs with the YWAMers. The YWAM Louisville is having worship in the chapel, their, their regular Wednesday morning worship. And so I'm going to go down there and worship with them. And, and a lot of, we had 81 that we had sent out to, to go to six different countries, and they got back. And then we had our current school there. And so, and then all the staff. So there's 150 people in the chapel. Okay, you, there were no chairs. We pushed the chairs, all that. So everybody's standing, and Gabe's leading worship. And it's like, it, it's the kind of worship where you're, you're dancing. And, and it's 147, 18 to 25-year-olds. And then me and Andy Landers uh, and, and Carmelita. Okay, so there's like three people in their 50s and everybody else. And what I discovered was I still got it. Now, I had to take breaks to get oxygen, but I still got it. So we're, I mean, it was one of those things where the joy of the Lord is there. You know, you're just rejoicing. God's good. And then, and then there's a couple there who's leaving to go uh, to an unreached people group in the 1040 window. Um, and I uh, can't really say where they're going or their names. Um, and so, but they're going to go there. And so and we all got around and we prayed over them to send them out. Uh, and then one of the guys there goes, look, I feel like we're supposed to take up an offering for them. And he asked, hey, to the guy, he said, what, what do you guys still need? And he said, well, we need about 600 bucks a month in support beyond what we have. And they're, and they're moving to a very expensive place. So they said, we need about $12,000 in moving costs that we don't have. And they're leaving in two weeks. So the guy says, I feel like we're supposed to take up an offering. Now, remember, this is 149 YWAMers and me. Okay, most of these people are students. They ain't got a job. They either just raise money for outreach or they're currently raising money for outreach. And then some of them were staff, you know, so they have an income, and me. And we're going to take them an offer for $12,000, at least that's what we were talking about. And so, and so they, everybody handed out a little piece of paper. You just write down what God wants you to give, and you turn it in, and then give them a hug, and then we're going to have a fellowship out in the atrium. So they, we all did that. We came out to the atrium. We're staying in the atrium. I got a little cup of orange juice, and we're talking. And then finally somebody comes out and says, hey, I'd just like to uh, announce what the offering was. $19,000. Listen, the only reason you're not ooing and aahing more is you don't realize how little money YWAMers have. Otherwise, you'd be dancing right now. So I'm standing there. I got so excited. I lost my orange juice. Right I got it all over my hair. I got orange juice in my hair. It's dripping down my glasses, my head. And then I didn't know this, but if you put orange juice on your hair, it gets really hard. I didn't know. I didn't know. But that's why. I mean, the, the couple, they're, they're, you know, they're bawling, you know, I'm, my jaw is down here, orange juice on my head. I'm like, what, did, what just happened? Let me tell you something. God providing $19,000 from 149 YWAMers, that's the equivalent of water coming from rock in the desert. And listen, if God can do that, he can provide whatever you need. What does the text say? He says, he's our provider who provides us with everything. Second, second example is Elijah, 1 Kings 17. You know the story. The, the text starts in 1 Kings 17. It says Elijah was, from, uh, it was a Tishbite from Tishba. And historically, we don't even know where Tishba was. So this dude, Elijah, is a nobody from nowhere. He shows up and tells the king, it ain't raining again till I say so. So we know this is going to be some kind of story right here. Verse 2 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, 
and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, this is kind of an odd story. God ordered ravens to bring meat and bread to Elijah, and they obeyed him. The birds of the air obey my father. And so Elijah ate meat. Uh, you know, he drank from the brook. He ate bread and meat twice a day. Everything was good. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just the birds coming up. Gah! Gah! I, I did that earlier this week, and Phil Yeoman goes, that, that, that's not what a raven says. That's not, that's not how that works. But Okay, whatever a raven says, I don't know. Okay, I'm maybe doing a crow. I don't, whatever it was, however they sounded, they bring in, this is not the miracle. The miracle is meat and bread twice a day from the ravens. But then the brook, brook ran dry. See, sometimes God changes the way he provides for us so that we keep looking to him and not the method of provision. See, see how God provided for you yesterday may or may not be the way he's going to provide for you tomorrow. The brook may run dry. Now, why would that happen? Why would God let it do that? Because God is more concerned about you knowing him and depending on him than what method he uses. So sometimes God changes the method, if for no other reason, to keep you from being complacent and trusting the provision rather than the provider. Have you ever been in this situation? God was providing for you in a certain way, and you thought he was always going to provide you in that way, and then the brook ran dry. Listen, if your brook runs dry, don't doubt God. It just means he's going to provide another way, and that's his business, not yours. You do your job, God will do that. It's like, as the young people say, you do you. God will do the rest. So they did for Elijah. The very next verse, so the brook runs dry. What you going to do, Elijah? The very next thing, God says, go to the widow at Zarephath. Listen, remember what I said earlier? It's almost never the person you thought it was going to be. Because if I'm writing a story on how to provide for the man of God, the prophet, it's not going to be a widow in Zarephath. So he goes to the widow. You know the story. He says, hey, uh, can you get me a drink, and then can you make some food for me? And she says, look, I know you're the man of God and all, but I've got these sticks, and I'm going to make a fire, and i got just a little flour and a little oil. I'm going to make a, some, a bread for us and my, for my son and I, and then we're going to die. And Elijah says, you go ahead and do this first, and everything will be all right. Verse 15, 1 Kings 17. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food Every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Is this, don't miss the irony. The brook runs dry, but the jar of oil doesn't. See, sometimes God provides miraculously, and sometimes he just keeps the stuff from running out or running dry. And it's no less God if he chooses to do it that way. See, God knows more than you do, and his timing is different than yours. Have you noticed? Raise your hand if there's ever been a time where you thought God and your timing was not the same. Raise your hand if that's ever, yeah, okay, so most of us. And the rest of you are liars, okay. (laughs) 
You know why? Because God's goal for your life is not your comfort. It's your character. He's trying to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And so often when God doesn't bail you out immediately, it's because he's going to give you an experience or an opportunity to experience him in a new and an exciting way. Remember, that i just give you a few examples of that. The three young men in Daniel chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue, plays the music, and you're supposed to bow down to the idol. And they're not going to bow down. He calls them in. And they say, look, king, our God can deliver us. And by the way, he is going to deliver us. But know this, even if he doesn't deliver us, we ain't never bowing. And you remember what happened? They got thrown in the fiery furnace. They were hoping, and appeared to be anyway, that God was going to deliver them from the fire. But he delivered them through the fire. And look, something special happened. Because remember what happened? Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and then he goes, hey, uh, how many people we throw in there? Uh, uh, three, O king. If you just read Daniel, it's always, O king. Uh, he goes, there's four people in there now, and one of them looks like the son of man. Listen. I'm sure those three young men would have preferred to be delivered before the fire instead of in the fire, but they met God there. Sometimes that's where you meet God. You experience him there. Uh, You know, take Stephen in Acts chapter 8. He's being stoned to death. And as he's being stoned to death, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Now, we know that he's sitting actually at the right hand of God the Father because his work is done if you read Hebrews. But in this moment, Jesus stands up to receive him into his place. So Stephen's worst day of his life was also the best day of his life. Francis Chan, in, in one of his books, he, he, uh, I think it's Forgotten God, he writes about a, a, some uh, missionaries from Korea who were in Afghanistan, and they were taken captured. They were uh, uh, kidnapped by the uh, Taliban, and the, the South Korean government pray, paid, actually, to get them out. Three of them died there, and the rest of them got out. And he's talking to these guys who were in the Taliban's prison, having been kidnapped by them, and they said they had never experienced the presence of God stronger than when they were in the Taliban prison. There they were in the fire, and there was a fourth man with them. And in fact, they said this, this is blue on mine. One of them says to the other, don't you miss it? Don't you kind of wish we were still there? And they didn't mean the food or the prison or the Taliban. They meant that sense of the presence of God. Brother Young tells a story in his book, The Heavenly Man, where, and, and you guys have heard me quote this before, where, where he was being beaten by rods. This guy has experienced more persecution than probably all of us in here put together. He, and I could go through the list, but it's a lot. But he said he had never experienced the presence of God the way he did as when they were beating him with rods. He said it was like Jesus was right there with them. See, when challenging times come, you guys, just know this. And because and, and I know some of you are in hugely challenging times right now. I know that. I don't want to be trite. I, I, we got families going through big things right now, really big things, but I want you to get excited. Get in the middle of that, get excited. It just means you're going to experience more of God because God is your provider. The third example is Peter. And just for sake of time, I'll I'll just do do this quickly. Peter, you know the story, Matthew 17. Somebody asked Peter, what? 
Your master doesn't pay the temple tax. There's a two drachma temple tax. And so Jesus says, here's, um, here's what you do. You go out to the, the Sea of Galilee, throw in your line. First fish you pull out, there'll be a four drachma coin in the mouth of the fish, and you go pay my tax and yours. Jesus sent Peter fishing to pay the IRS. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's my kind of provision right there, you know. It's amazing. So listen, what am I saying? Just this, sometimes God provides in unusual ways. So keep your eyes open. Pay attention. God is nearer than you think. A number of years ago when we lived in Central Asia, when we were in Tajikistan, there was one point uh, where there was a civil war going on where um, uh, there was a food shortage. And basically there was, a, I don't know, for a while there where it was just bread and potatoes. That's all they had. And you, you know what? You could do a lot to a potato. You can smash it, you can fry it, you can bake it, you can boil it. You can, it's, I mean, they're pretty flexible. They're like multiple uses. But after a while, it's a potato. And for a long time, that's what we had. And then, and then one night, it was on a Friday night, we were over at some friend's house. And while we were just enjoying time, talking and everything, it got dark. And uh, we, we were about a 45-minute walk from our apartment in, in the heart of the city. And we couldn't, because there, there was a, a curfew, you couldn't be out after dark. So we're kind of stuck, and so the family was like, hey, just spend the night here. We're like, that's great, that's cool, you know. So we spend the night at their house, and we're awakened the next morning, Saturday morning. Remember, there's a food shortage. By the back, a Soviet-era tanker truck with the, you know the noise when a big truck backs up, it goes beep, beep, beep. You know, that very irritating noise, like that was pretty irritating to me, and I didn't know that did it. Um, they, it's irritating on purpose so you don't get run over. Well, we get awakened by the beep, beep, you know, and there's a tanker truck backing up in the alley because the, the neighbor across the alley was a Jewish family and they knew somebody who brought a tanker truck full of milk. There was no milk in the country, but God sent a milk truck to our alley. And it had a little spigot on the back and we kind of stuck our heads out and we're like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, it's a milk truck. You want some? We're like, as a matter of fact, we do. Thank you very much. So we got some jars, and then there was no milk in the country. And God, listen, sometimes God will bring a milk truck to your house. Because sometimes he provides in unusual ways. And sometimes he does it just to remind you that he is there. And that he sees and provides. Some years ago when our older two boys were getting ready at where we are going to send them to high school, uh, you know, our two older boys went to one high school and the other two went to a different one. And when we were thinking about where we were supposed to go for a lot of reasons, uh, we were looking at one private school here in town. It's very expensive. Uh, and so Wednesday night, uh, on, a, on a Wednesday night after church, uh, we went home and the two younger boys went to bed and the two older boys and Marlene and I were in the living room. And uh, I said, look, this is an expensive school, but I want to know that you guys think you're supposed to go there too. Like this is what you're supposed to do. Um, and we'll figure out, you know, if this, how to pay for it, but we just need to know that we're on the same page. And so, um, so Graham says, well, can we pray about it? I'm like, no, we can't pray about it. Oh, yes, of course we can pray about it. Of course we can pray about it. So we prayed. All four of us prayed, and we got quiet, and we listened. And after we got, pray, we got done praying, we're like, what do you think? And he said, well, I got some questions. So we talked about them. And, uh, and at the time, all four of us felt like that was the right school for them to go to. So I said, okay. And then there's a sheet of paper at this school that you sign that says you'll be responsible for the tuition. And once you turn this in, you're responsible for the tuition whether or not you go to school there. 
So I pulled out my pen, I pulled out the sheet of paper, and I said something very foolish. In fact, I'm, 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 even, I'm embarrassed to this day to say what I, I'm ashamed of it, actually. Here's what I said. I said, I don't know how we're going to eat, but you're going to that school. And I signed my name, and Marlene signed her name. I think it was three minutes later. It might have been quicker than that, but I'm just trying to get the benefit of the doubt. Three minutes later, the phone rings. Marlene picks up the phone. And look, it's 1030 at night on a Wednesday night. It's never good news when the phone rings late at night, especially if you're a pastor. Okay, it's not, it ain't, this ain't good news. The phone rings. She goes, yeah, we're at home. Sure. She hangs up and she goes, hey, and she calls this person, a man who was in our church. He said he was in our neighborhood and he wanted to drop something off. I'm like, Okay. And so we look out the door, and he's driving down in a truck, pulling a trailer. He backs the trailer into our driveway, and he gets out of the truck, and we meet him out there, and he says, hey, the Lord told me to bring this by tonight. The Lord told you to bring this by at 1030 on Wednesday night? Yes. And it was a kitchen table and chairs. Now, you should know our kitchen table was real rickety, like we had folded up cardboard and slid it under one of the legs to keep it from rocking back and forth. That's what, that's what you know, and there were broken chairs, and we, were, we had mismatched chairs around it. But this was a nice table and nice chairs, like the kind that we would have picked out. It's just way more expensive than we ever would have bought. And he said, well, the Lord told me to bring these over here to you. I'm like, wow, okay. So we, we carry them in. We took the other table downstairs. We put the table in. We got a new table chair. Look at that. That's amazing. Then he says, hey, do you have any china? And Marlene says, no, you know, because when we first got married, we were missionaries in Central Asia. And she, and she said, no, I don't have any china. And he said, come with me. So he opens up a box out of his truck, and it's this china, the kind of china she probably would have chosen, although we just never bought any china before. And she goes, yeah, I love that. He goes, what? The Lord want me to give that to you too. And then Nathaniel says, wow, Dad, that was fast. <laughs> and then it hit me. And this other guy says, what's he talking about? I said, oh, bro, I just said a foolish thing. I just said, I don't know how we're going to eat, but you're going to go to this school. And I can just imagine God going, you don't know how you're going to eat? You don't know how you're going to eat? How many years have I been providing for you? Let me tell you, I'll tell you how you're going to eat the same way you've always eaten because I'm going to provide the food. And if I want to, I'll provide china to put the food on. And if I want to, I'll provide a new table to put the china to put the food on that I have provided for you. And if I want to, I'll build new chairs to put your butt in while you're eating the food off the table on the china that I provided for you in the first place. Because he's our provider. Now, in all three of those situations that I just gave you, there were two things involved. And when, when it comes to Elijah, uh, you know, Moses, Elijah, and Peter, there was two things involved, obedience and trust. See, Moses w was told to strike the rock at Horeb, and he obeyed. Water came from the rock. Elijah was told to go to the brook. He obeyed, and, and ravens brought him food. Later, Elijah was told to go to the widow. He obeyed, and the oil never ran out. Peter was told to go fishing, and he obeyed, and, and the money was in the fish's mouth. In each case, God instructed them to do something, and they obeyed, and God provided. So here's the question. I know you see this coming. What has God instructed you to do? It may be small, it might be big, it might be an easy thing. Like for these, I mean, it's not that hard to go up to a rock in the desert. It, it's not that hard to go fishing, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's an easy, but Moses had to obey, Elijah had to obey, Peter had to obey. 
This past Wednesday, we had an elders meeting. We were praying, and, and uh, you know, we were asking this very question. What are you saying, God? Because I, I think you guys you probably know this. I mean, you can look at the back of the bulletin. Uh, we're, we're way behind budgeted amount. Last fall, we got way behind, and, and we started catching up in January and, Dece- I mean, excuse me, in November and December. But then, we, beginning of this year, it has been something of a slow start, and we got behind. And so the elders were together saying, all right, God, what are you saying? Because we want to obey. Because we want to see the fellowship here. We want, we want more testimonies like we just heard over here. So we don't want anything slowing that down. So, God, what are you saying so we can obey? Now, I was hoping he would say, go down into the auditorium, take a music stand from the worship team, hit the, strike the pulpit. And money will start shooting out. I was hoping. Better yet, I was hoping he would say, look, I want the elders to send you on a deep sea fishing trip. And the first tuna you pull out of the ocean in the, in the mouth will be the deficit. You know, he didn't say either one of those. But we did feel like that the Lord told us just to tell you guys. And that's it. That, hey, we're behind. And we trust God because he's our provider. So what's God saying to you? He's still God. He's still speaking. He doesn't have laryngitis. What is God saying? And do you trust him enough to obey? See, obedience is evidence of trust. There's a big difference between being religious and being obedient. Being religious is I'm going to just try to follow the rules so I can manipulate God and get him to do what I want to do. That's that. Obedience is, God, I trust that you see further down the road than I do. You know more than I do, so I'm just going to obey what you say because I love you and I trust you. Because very often, you guys, and this is not always, okay, but very often the miracle is on the other side of your obedience. I know we would like, wouldn't we like this if God provided and then we obeyed? When we got to see it first, we got to see the miracle and then we're going to obey. But oftentimes he says, look, you obey and then you'll see the miracle. I mean, one of the funniest examples of this, I think, it's funny to me anyway, is Exodus 14 when the Israelites are at the Red Sea. They got the Red Sea in front of them. They got the Pharaoh and his army behind them. And in Exodus 14, 15, here's what the Lord says. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I mean, if I'd have been Moses, I'd have been, where? There's a sea in front of us. There are the bad guys behind us. Move, why are you crying? Move on. And then he said, put out your staff. And he split the sea, and they had to obey, and they walked forward. I mean, here's my point. you got to obey. When I was a kid in the, in the 70s, we used to have this song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Remember that song? How many people were alive in the 70s? Raise your hand. You know, okay. <laughs> All right. Again this week, uh, you know, I said, I think it was a song from the late 70s. And Phil goes, I'm sorry to break this to you. That was the early 70s. <laughs> Thank you for the encouragement, Phil. It, somebody said to me when I said this uh, a few weeks ago to them, they said, well, the economy wasn't as bad when we used to sing that song. I thought, you think that matters to God? How bad was the economy when Israel was in the desert and water came out of a rock? Where was the Dow Industrial on that day? 
I mean, how was Israel's economy when he sent ravens to feed Elijah? I mean, what was, you know, the, the, the widow at Zarephath, how were her retirement funds performing on that day? Listen, this is the God who can put money in a fish's mouth. God is my provider, but sometimes he provides in unusual ways. Number three, and finally, and this is very quickly, but this is the crescendo. Don't miss this. God's ultimate provision is Jesus Christ. Now, this is a theme that runs way through the Bible, starting in Genesis 3, where there's a prophecy that, that the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. Uh, but it takes a quantum leap forward in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, you remember the story, Abraham's got his son Isaac, and God tells him, I want you to go sacrifice him. And so he starts up the mountain, and as they're going up the mountain, Isaac says to Abraham, you know, where's the lamb? And he says this in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb. And you know the story, God stops him before he sacrifices his son. And so in verse 14, it says this, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And you guys, it was that very place. On that very rock where he was about to sacrifice Isaac, we are told in Second Chronicles 3, that is the very site that Solomon's temple was built. On the very rock where Abraham was about to to sacrifice his son, but was stopped on that rock. They built Solomon's temple. And you know the story later, it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And through Ezra and Nehemiah, it began to be rebuilt under the Persians. And then Herod finished it and expanded it. And it was the second temple. And it was right there that on the day we call Good Friday, when Jesus, who the book of Hebrews says, was crucified outside the city gate, at that moment of his crucifixion and death, on that rock in the new temple, the veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place was ripped in two. Ripped in two. So just as Abraham sacrificed the ram instead of his son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed instead of us. And just as, as, as God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son and he was willing to do it, which blows my mind, what's even more amazing, what is absolutely breathtaking is this, God in that very same spot actually did give his son for you and for me. This is God's ultimate provision. And because of God's sending his son Jesus and his atoning sacrifice our sins are forgiven Satan is defeated death cannot hold us I mean because of this we are accepted by God we are declared righteous the word is justified by God we're approved by God we're adopted into his family we call God Abba and this is just the beginning Ephesians 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen. Which ones? Every. every. Which, hold on, in Greek means every. <laughs> 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need. For life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I, I could just give two quick applications of this. Number one, just start believing that you have everything you need in Christ. And stop striving for stuff that you already have. See, I think sometimes we're trying to earn things from God that he's already given us as a gift. 
He said, because of Jesus, we're already accepted in him. You don't earn your acceptance. You don't earn God's love for you. It's already given to you in Christ. You don't have to get significance or value or worth. It's already given to you. A year ago or so, you know, I was trading in my lease or a car, and I was going to lease another one. It was one of those things where I did the paperwork, and then the car wasn't there, and then a few weeks later I had to come back and get it. When I came back and get it, you know, they tried to sell you extras. When you're signing on the ball, you know, and they were like, well, you really need this. We got this uh, coat that we put on it that helps with scratch and dents, and then we got the scratch and dents insurance, and then we got the maintenance package. And, then, and I'm like, yes, I want all of that, but I don't want to pay anymore because I have a certain amount that's approved by the authorities that be. And I need this. And the guy's like, well, you know, you know how this works. The salesman then goes back to the manager, uh, you know, so they can blame the manager. You know, you know how this works. So he goes back to the manager, he comes back, and he's got a sheet of paper, and, and he says, well, this is the contract you signed. I'm like, okay. He goes, uh, you already negotiated all those things in that price. I said, what? He said, yeah, you already own all those things. Here I was trying to negotiate to pay for something I already owned. Sometimes I think we do that with God. Jesus already paid the price. Paid it in full. He, Jesus already paid the price for you to walk around guilt-free, shame-free, fearless. He already paid for it. But sometimes we're trying to pay for it. So what do you have need of today? God is your provider. He gives you everything you need. Look at this scripture, Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. In other words, if he gave Jesus, why wouldn't he give you everything you need? Two quick testimonies and then I'm done. Yesterday we had the graduation for our YWAM schools. We had 81 people who were off on, on mission trips and they came back and we, I don't know, we probably had 300 people in the graduation here yesterday and they told some testimonies. And I want to just give you two of them. One of them was from Thailand. And, and, and there were some of our wildlanders. There was I think it was three girls or ladies, young, I call them girls. I mean, they're like 20, okay? So to me, they're girls. So, uh, so they're walking down the streets in Thailand, and this guy comes out and says in English, hey, do y'all speak Thai? And they said, no, do you speak English? <laughs> and he was like, yes. So he invites them in. They come in. They're talking to him, and he gets his grandson to come out who had broken his foot a couple weeks ago. And he had a broken foot, and, and he was on crutches, and he couldn't put any weight on it at all. And they started talking to him about the Lord. And then one of them feels like, hey, we're supposed to lay hands on this guy's foot. And in Thai culture, you know, you don't touch somebody's foot. I mean, come to think of it, I don't really like people to touch my foot either. <laughs> so I get it. So, but they said, hey, could we? I know this is not, you know, but is it all right? We want to be respectful, but we feel like we should. And the guy's like, okay, you know, what do I got to lose? So they lay hands on him, and they pray for him. And they pray for a while for healing. And then they say, how do you feel? And he says, well, I have less pain than I've had since I broke it. And they're like, okay, can we pray again? Because there is biblical precedence for this. And, and so can we pray again? They go, he says, sure, what I got to lose? So they lay hands on him again, pray a second time. This time they say, how do you feel? And he says, I have no pain at all. And he gets up and he walks on the foot without crutches. This wasn't 2,000 years ago. This is a couple weeks ago in Thailand. From people from here. One more testimony. This is even, I thought it was amazing. From South Africa, 
uh, this was a couple guys that were walking down the road, and there was a guy's house, and the front door was open, and they could see there was a guy lying on a bed. He was just skin and bones, and he could barely breathe. And somebody had invited them in, and they go in to talk to this guy, and he's like <gasps> trying to gasp for breath. And they found out that he had tuberculosis, and, but, but a very advanced stage, and the guy was about to die. And he had, a couple, he had been bedridden for weeks, had not been out of bed in weeks. And so they start talking to him about Jesus and who Jesus is and how he's our provider, how Jesus was sent by God and he died on the cross for us and, and he loves you and he can forgive you. And the guy says, oh, no, he can't forgive me. He can't forgive me. And then he tells his story that he had been a gang member in South Africa and he had murdered people. He had taken people's lives and he knew that if there is an afterlife, I'm going to be in hell. And then they started talking to him about the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus and how there is no sin greater than the blood of Jesus. And they talked to him for about an hour. And at the end of that hour, that man was gloriously saved. He gave his heart to Jesus. He was born again. And we got another South African brother in the Lord. And then they said, guess what? The same Jesus that can save you can heal you. Can we pray for you? He said, okay, you know, you know. They lay hands on him. They pray for him. And he goes from wheezing to breathing. Long story short, by the time they left, he got up and walked them to the door. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment.